Yes, that's right. We are here live. Deep Space Nine at nine-ish. Another episode. Season up two, episode 20 and 21, guys. We got the two-parter tonight. We're talking about the Maquis. We are just breaking it down. I'm Jeff Mater, uh, joined by my uh, assortment of uh, guest hosts here. We have um, my brother. We'll bring him in right now. We got my hey. brother. Uh, there he is. He's been having technical difficulties, so forgive him if things go astray. Um, I got it fixed up. I got it fixed. Sorry for the delay in starting today. Right. And then also bringing in the uh, tag team couple, Ashley and Kevin Millard, uh, here to break everything down about a group of insurrectionists that are are bound to break out of Terok Nor or D69, if you will, and start a rebellion against the Cardassians. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if this... Let's just replace Cardassians with with liberals and, <laughs> and the yeah. federation with with the maquis with the republic there's some there's some uh interesting things about watching this uh, these this two-parter tonight that i think do have some uh real life parallels with what we're going through right now here in january of 2021 and uh a week before joe biden's inauguration yes yeah, so we are recording this on uh january 12th so this is six days after uh the storming of the capitol that occurred <laughs> yes there's no other way to put it you might have heard that. of it you might have heard of it <laughs> uh, if you haven't um Maybe other stuff happened that was more exciting. He was yeah. like, oh yeah, I remember that. Recently, but, Donald Trump was taken off of was taken off of uh, pretty much every social media platform, but most notably Twitter. And I believe that he had this reaction oh, when he found out he got canned off Twitter. Dave, can I get yes. a little raw ruafu? Oh sure, let me find it. Uh... Really trying to build that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Donald Trump on the toilet, finding That's out an insurrection right there. That is insurrection. <laughs> cannot you cannot take away his his toilet tweets. Um, okay, so we're here talking about this two parter here. I all right for the record, guys. I know you guys like you know we're sucking the dick of last week's episode, but this episode was far far more intriguing for me. It's what I get out of star trek what, what i really like is that we have a lot of political uh conversations going on here we have a lot of different dynamics between different species and and how they are supposed to react in these moments for me i really enjoyed that it was more a singular story last week this week we get um a two-parter that's really dense um dave do you kind of see where i'm going with this do you, do you kind of agree absolutely i think that the um okay i make no uh no secret that I have always been a big fan of the Maquis as a concept, although I think that they deserve a lot of criticism as a concept as well. But I think they were an interesting thing to, to bring in at this particular time in the 1990s that helped them like spin off the Voyager TV show. There was a lot of world building, a lot about uh, a lot of a lot of great dialogue in this two parter. It's a lot, of, particularly between Cisco and Kira tonight. This is I thought, the best Cisco episode we've had since probably Emissary. I think it's better. I think this two-parter yeah. for Cisco yeah. is better than he is in that two-parter. Yeah. I don't. I think that Emissary is a better uh, intro. Quick question here too, uh, not related. Well, it's kind of Cisco. It's with Cisco related. So, uh, just pointing out here that Burnham, uh, if you don't know, got promoted at the end of season three to captain of the Discovery, uh, uh, is now both. And is that a coincidence with uh, with Michael Burnham and Cisco both getting becoming captains late, halfway through? Their shows, assuming that Discovery goes for another couple well, of years. 
I guess. I mean, they're not white, so they had to earn it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, what? What's the coincidence? Like that they're both on TV shows. They're both black. TV they're both. They're both it, that, like that's their only thing in common, right? Uh, yeah, they're yeah, pretty much. Oh <laughs> well, I mean, you got the you know the human uh, as well. You know, the other but... white guys, they got the captain right out of the right out of the gate. The, you know, for whatever reason, Avery Brooks and what's her name, Sonequa Martin Green, had Sonequa Martin Green. Yeah, yeah, right. They had to earn it. Uh, I guess I don't know. Like I don't know what to make of that. You would have to. Uh, it, like those decisions were made by different eras of Star Trek production, so uh, you'd have to ask them. But. I'm not far off base here because, like, just the fact that they had a black captain, which is what we have here with Cisco, was a big deal in the early '90s. Big deal in the '90s. A lot of people yeah. didn't like it. That's not my Star Trek. I'm not. You know, why would I follow some black guy? You know, like, you know, gallivanting around the universe. It's not. That I don't identify to it. A lot of people, I think, said when Cisco first came on, uh, on the scene, and then all of a sudden, I think, I think episodes like this really started to change how we looked at Cisco. Kevin and Ashley, over to you. Uh, do, do you find like we're on the right path here with Cisco? Do you think it's he's starting to kind of figure out how he wants to play the role? That's what I noticed anyway. I think he got better writing. Like he's this is one of the better better written episodes for him for sure Kevin? this is one of the one of the very few episodes so far that have that he's been a main character in even yeah yes. they 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 haven't really revolved around cisco they've spent a lot of time on the rest of the cast and uh and this is the first glimpse and it's a it's a good episode i have trouble with it just because i i'm not a fan of the maquis I, I, I'm with you, Dave. I like the Maquis as a concept, but I just I, there's something about the execution of it that I don't like. I have never liked in any any of the Star Treks. I can't yeah. quite put my finger on why. I have a theory. Okay. Well, I think it's it the Maquis for me, and watching this and trying to like, do I sympathize with the Maquis' cause? Do I agree with it? Do I? Uh, uh, even if you don't approve of their methods and the way they go about it, do they have sort of a point here? And they do They do their damnedest to make their case for them here. And this was also set up in the Next Generation episode, Preemptive Strike, where Rolaren then goes off and joins the Maquis. So they, and they really wanted to build up the Maquis as sort of this launching pad for Voyager, which I think that they, they'd figured out they wanted to do by then, right? So, um, and so th I think the problem is what Cisco points out in the episode. Like, well, at Earth, it, uh, you know, everything's perfect and everything's fixed and, you know, we don't have problems. And then everyone's out here on the frontier living, you know, with real problems. And you're kind of like, well, why are you doing that? Like, you know, you're in the future. And you, why do you, why is it so important for you to live on the frontier? Um, a little, like, not that they don't have the right to do so, but it, it, the, the whole thing with the Cardassian Treaty and the backstory and everything they set up here, it's interesting, but I, I don't know enough about the world to kind of understand why it is the case it is you know I, and so i find that the maquis just won't face reality right like i i it, it and and it drives me nuts how they poetically talk about like eddington in a later episode talks about how hard it is to grow tomatoes and they're so ground look at all the tomatoes we grew without the federation who gives yeah. a shit I, I don't know tomatoes like i i don't like uh, i don't know yeah like i don't really get their point you know yeah. 
I think with the Maquis, it's supposed they do like like you said, it's a good concept. I don't think they if they had made the Maquis more like a maybe even like a religious reason why they wanted to stay in their encampments or it was just like but they just made it like that's their home. So why can't they move is what you're saying, Dave, but they don't want to move, right? Which well we, we can make a lot of different um, analogies to what goes on in the real world, especially with like Israel, Palestine, like, Oh, you could say, why don't Palestinians just leave? Then they won't have to deal with all the, the, you know, the penalties of living there, you know, they're, they're free to leave, you know, it's because it's, they believe it's their home, you know? Right. But we don't have that connection here. Now they do set it up pretty well. I forget the episode of next generation, but the one where Wesley Crusher leaves to go with the traveler. And that kind of, that is the real first setup of the Maquis. That's the originator episode um where uh the traveler shows up at the end right but it's it's like leave this thing and they agree they agree we're gonna leave there's this new treaty there's federation plans but those were native americans right like those were you know people who were once again being forcibly relocated and it's a whole different issue and you see a couple like native american looking guys and, and ladies uh in the in the maquis company but they're they're made up of all kinds of humans and other aliens too uh and so they're not it's not just that right but it, that was kind of at its core where it started as a concept and like chakote is a, a personification of that but it they Hakuchimoya, as they would say yeah, no, for sure. I agree, Dave, that, uh, yeah, maybe it is, uh, yeah, like the Maquis is very, um, uh, res uh, resembles the Native American struggle, too, especially with their whole idea of living on the frontier. The frontier can represent the Old West, exactly what was going on in the 1800s with the Native American population. So there's a bunch of different great metaphors that the Maquis, uh, yeah, you can you can generate from, which is what Star Trek, I think, does really well, is, is those metaphors and analogies. In this, I, I agree. The execution isn't always great. They never seem like they're organized enough, or they're not. They don't really have like a clear motive that they just like the, every episode with the Maquis. It seems like I just gotta finish this mission and I gotta see it through to the end. But but your mission is pointless. You shouldn't do it. It's like ah, but I want to. You know, like it's kind of like every episode. Well, and I think what it comes down to what they are, and you know, I think some of the dialogue here between Hudson and Cisco really shines a light on it tonight. You know, where it goes, is this about justice or revenge? And he's like, well, you can call it revenge. I call it um, uh, getting even or something, yeah. or like sort of settling this. You know, whatever redemption. Retribution. Um, or, I think retribution. It, it, I think is the word. This episode is one of the best Maki episodes. They do like because they do spell it out and they do talk. There's a lot of great dialogue in this episode. Okay. And guys, we haven't even talked about Goldicott and how amazing so good. is utilized within this episode. Yes. And it, for me, without him, the episode would suck. Yeah. You know? yeah. So he, he's so pr um, integral to all the dialogue and all the different like um, great comebacks he has in this episode are just fantastic. And uh, I think this is when they realized, okay, we got to really start using Goldicott more. Well, I, I think it, there has to be a tremendous amount of credit given to Iris Stephen Bear, who I think wrote this two-parter, at least the second half in particular. Um, and uh, he he really finds his writing voice here with Cisco mm -hmm. and with Goldicott. He he's really figuring out how to write for these two characters. Um, he, he even he, his use of Kira is a, is particularly good. That, um, that's my thing too. I'm not a, typically a fan of Kira. Um, but 
I think they did a really good job with Kira in these two episodes. Well, Kira has the old motif that comes up again and again, where basically Cisco could let Goldicott die or rot, and Kira's like, "Let him rot, let him die. Yeah. He's terrible, right?" And then like Cisco, this is the start of that. She's gonna do that at least like seven more times. Where but also, she's she makes a point for the Maquis where she's like, you don't know what it's like to live with that kind of terror and to be and what's like to you know sort of live under that. And he, she points out the real realities of it that it's not all Federation idealism sometimes, and there's real. But but and I know they consider it their home, but they can leave. There's countless. Lawrence the could not leave. It's not exactly it's not a parallel. The same. They were not allowed to leave, but these people, the Maquis, can leave and have a home to go to. Yeah, yes. the thing I find with, with the Maquis and why I'm not a huge fan of the Maquis is I don't I, I don't know if they didn't do a good job of writing them or but I don't find them sympathetic. Like I don't care about them. I don't care. Like when they're like, this is our home and we have we but they're providing them another home and setting it's not like they're like well you have to leave here and now you're homeless they can give them another they're setting them up it's not like they're putting them in camps where they're not going to have clean water and and the ability oh no, to no. like they're setting them up with they're saying this is the treaty they have to leave their homes you also have to leave your homes because you each have to be on this side of the planet but we're going to set you up and you're ready to go in your new place. Well, yeah. And it's this whole de moral debate, forced relocation, which is a morally reprehensible act. And I think, you know, I, I think I heard Stephen Bear is trying to hit on all those subjects, but again, the alternative is what war, like full scale yeah. war. Yeah. And I, I wrote here my notes. I was like, I like we get only mentions of this war with the Federation and the Cardassians that O'Brien in particular seems to have participated in quite a bit. And uh, it seems like a really bloody slugfest of a war. Um, and, and, and that both sides are, are don't want it to come out. I want to know, I, I, I this might seem uh, morbid, but I kind of want to know more about it. I, I kind of want to know more about the conflict, what was, when it was going on, who was involved and, maybe of the characters we know i feel like there's uh because they keep that now they're doing more and more prequel stuff and whatever and i'm like well, if they're gonna do another prequel i want to know brian during the cardassian war prequel that'd be amazing o'brien <laughs> oh, yeah. the best starfleet officer of all time of all um, time yeah. most important, yeah, man, most in important man in starfleet but we do get a juxtaposition here between cisco and goldicott quite a bit in this episode where there's several moments where goldicott just wants to like destroy a ship or you know kill like the what's the 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 starfleet turn monkey's friends name dave the the guy that michael eddington michael, no the guy in this episode the cal 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 hudson cal, cal yeah. hudson cal hudson um all, by by the way I, I i don't think he was especially great but i think because goldicott kept like just like like basically calling him inferior and awful and to t tell it's just going to kill him just made it all the better i was just like yeah kind of what do you mean all that what do you mean by all that great he wasn't it all just that wasn't great. a great I, I didn't find it to be a great performance um like kind of like what ashley is saying like i don't care about cal and his like they never really write that properly they never seem to write like why is cal doing this and let us feel why he's doing it 
There's no time. There's I no time Eddington, here. But Eddington is better than Cal Hudson. We had way more time. We had several. Well, I think maybe they realized that. Maybe that was the lesson they took from this was because they built up Eddington. So his betrayal feels so much more important mm -hmm. and so much yeah. more real versus Cal, who we're told Cisco has known for years. And they kind of they try to add this weight to it by saying, oh, and Dax knows me and da da da. And like we, we go way back. Right. Okay. And yes, your wives knew each other. So there's all this like established backstory, but it's not enough no. for this for us to feel what Cisco's feeling. Exactly. Avery Brooks does his damn best, his best at it, but it's 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 not as as we see it when when you add like the Eddington thing where this oh actor, this character was set up, what it does to Cisco. Yeah, and that's Cisco, one of my favorite favorite when he's like, he beat me, he beat me, like yeah. he's just being petty, yeah. and he's <laughs> it's all ego in that episode. I love that. And in this episode, <laughs> he chooses the high road. He chooses not to kill Cal and his you know yeah. subordinates or whatever where Golden yelling at him to instead he's like I'm not gonna kill um a, man a good man for defending his, his home, home a good man defending his home so Cisco will come in like three seasons to like poison a whole monkey planet just oh. to prove a point oh, yeah. so, like you know so he changes his whole his tune from yeah Eddington really got under his skin <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like when when later on, when when like even Kira's making these arguments against the Maquis, like to Tom Riker on the Defiant, you know, you don't live there, you're not from there. Neither is Cal Hudson. He's yeah. he was just assigned there. He um he seems to be grieving for the death of his wife, and this seems to be what he's chosen to marry instead to, to put his think, grief into. I think that's a good point, Dave. I think that's what the Maquis is. It's a bunch of um revenge seeking people. That kind, you know, kind of like I was alluding to, like the Palestinian thing. It's just like a um, a, a never-ending, um, you know, my father was killed, so I'm on this revenge because my mother was killed. I'm on this revenge quest. That's what it seems like the Maquis is to me. That they're all a bunch of people that misfit, that hate the Federation and hate the Cardassians together. And Fatah! well, yeah, there you go. Like right, what happened? And all of them have seem to have some sort of bad. Like what's Balanus backstory? Why is she in the Maquis? Right. Anger issues. Anger. Right. <laughs> why? You know, we know why Jacote is in the. Jacote is like the exception to the rule, which, which, but it really kind of calls into question Jacote. I know this is not about Voyager, but it kind of is because this is kind of a backdoor pilot for Voyager, and yeah. um, it's you have to question uh, Jacote because he's presented in Voyager as this noble, super good uh, leader who is uncorruptible. And and but the rest of the Maquis, a lot of them are thugs, a lot of them are psychos, like who just want to like kill people. And and yes, and so Chakotay is at like the top of this leadership, and he chooses to associate himself with like Eddington, with this Cal Hudson, with Rolaren, I guess. If she's a good one. We don't we never see her again. So uh, but all of them are sort of undisciplined, is kind of the common theme about them. They all yeah, they just they 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 don't they put themselves ahead of like duty i guess and and that's what and that's what star yeah. trek's trying to say but yeah. jacote is he like resigned his commission honorably and then he went to the monkey you know and he didn't like pull some stunt where you know he flipped one day and put on an nwo shirt and said woo you know it's yeah, uh, yeah well jacote is the most milk toast rebellion person there ever was you know like there's a but yeah, like that whole seed too like in the Maquis episode with the rebellion on Voyager, the holodeck, 
that you know he's like hey next time can i not be the bad guy you know it's just like oh chakotay could you have like a li- like a little bit of cool in you a little bit of badass <laughs> all the other first officers have that kira has it spock and he's it. supposed to be the rebel freedom fighter yes yeah. that's what i mean he's supposed to be the rebel freedom rebel freedom fighter and he is like he's who's more milk toast cal or chakotay Oh, they're, okay. they're pretty similar. They're both pretty similar. Yeah, I agree with that. I think at least Chakotay's father lived there. At least his father dies, like in terms of his story, in terms of his, bones of his ancestors. Yeah, and, the bones of his ancestors. And, He's native. He has this like history behind it. Kel Hudson does not. Janeway is more of a renegade than Chakotay. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, she's more of a Kirk. I would say Janeway. Yeah, a lot of ways that way. Yeah. And they sent Janeway after Chakotay because Chakotay was their best. He was like their best and brightest and like every, maybe Tom Riker. But uh, as well, they were up there sort of like the senior leadership of the Maquis before they get wiped out. But even that Voyager episode where Chakotay gets the communique, they finally find out what happens to the Maquis later on when the Dominion wipes them out. And and he goes, I, I, I it took me an hour before I could accept it, but there's no more Maquis. Sorry, Bellana. And then Bellana Torres then feels it. But Chakotay gets over it very quickly. He's like, yeah. I was kind of looking to get out. I was kind of looking for a career change before this whole Delta Quadrant thing anyway. So this kind of worked out. I found a better job here. So I'm good. It's fine. It worked out way better. He would have died. All of them would have died. All the Voyager monkeys. So most likely. Or or would have ended up in jail of some form. Right. And (laughs) Tuvok is the undercover Donnie Brasco special agent. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the idea of Vulcans. Can we talk about this Vulcan character we had, Sakona? And I think it was interesting in terms of like, well, they're not just humans, though. You got to realize that, like, uh, where, do I have her picture? Yes, I do. Uh, Sakona. Oh, I'm sorry, Ashley. I thought she was Romulan at first. Oh, like, <laughs> like when they first brought her in, I thought she was a Romulan, just the way she was dressed. Because um, she looks like Troy as a Romulan. Yeah. Yeah. She looks very similar. Very, yeah, very Romulan. I think it lends to this whole thing. Oh, why? Like, it, it, it's the better part of the Maquis concept that they're all like Federation citizens and they're not all crazy. They're not all bad. They're just, um, they're, they're they, they, in their mind, they're doing the right thing. Vulcans right? believe but, in peace as a matter of principle, Dave, but they also don't believe in blowing up ships as a matter of principle either. <laughs> yes, true. So there's, there's all, all those things. Um, well, but yeah, like, any, where do we got it? There's even this shot here later on where we see the, the Klingon and the, and the I would assume, is um, a Native American uh, representation uh, to kind of show that there's diversity in this Maquis. It's not just like a species. It's not just humans or any group. Yeah, we get that with Rolaren in the original, like, well, like in TNG. I mean, she's a Bajoran, right? So Right. I'm trying to remember where all these episodes like fell in the Maquis arc because there's the one with the Wesley Crusher that kind of sets the whole thing up. I think in season five or six of Next Gen. Is it even that early? Is it no? He left in season four. He left middle. No, he left in season four, but he goes to the academy. It's after he's. It's almost when he's about. I think it's it's near the the end of the show. The first Maquis. I actually looked it up. The first Maquis episode is TNG season four, episode twelve. Wow. Okay, I, don't know. I, I have to look this up, Jeff. Okay, um, but there's there's plenty of other things to talk about in this episode. I mean, we can talk about the. I, I mean, I feel like the relationship between Kira and Cisco 
is good here. I, the one thing I do, I mean, I kind of appreciate is that there's very little Dax and O'Brien, and I think this episode needed to be like the the the, the decision maker people. Um, yeah, where, you know, and and so you have like yeah, the Kira Goldicott Cisco. Is Jeff Rose? All right, he's back. So, in Memory Alpha, it has it as the wounded TNG episode four times twelve. Oh, I know the wounded. I, 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 you could call you could say that yes, that because the wounded is the episode with O'Brien's old captain who goes on that mission who starts blowing up things. And I, but that's not specifically about the monkey, but that's beginning like the Cardassian sort of backstory and everything. Yeah, that's what it has it listed as for first monkey. Well, it's probably just um, the first mention. It's probably not it, about the Maki. Yeah. But it's like the beginning of the arc. Um, yeah. Which I get. What about, okay, so what about the scene? So Journey's, like, Journey's oh. End is from season seven, episode 20. Okay. Did you guys like that scene at the end of the first episode where uh, the Maki kind of like, uh, they're like, you know, well, there two of them are Starfleet officers, but the the Vulcans with them. They go up to like the the loading dock, and then like so to call the coach, just like, oh, I take it we're not going. <laughs> what does he say? Yeah, he goes, remember me? He goes, I take it we're not about to board. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a question about that. Why would Galducat not think anything was up when it was a Federation security officer, which is fine. Yeah. And a plainclothes Vulcan. Right. And Why would a plainclothes Vulcan be escorting him with security? Well, they wouldn't be. But I guess I I wondered the same thing. And I kind of just chalked it up to, well, it's maybe not a detail that Ducat would pay attention to. But on the other hand, he pays attention to everything. Pay attention to all the details. He is meant to... And Ducat is meant to be at least as smart as... Garrick. Oh, is this as smart as Garrick? Yeah, okay. Uh, he was able to sneak onto the station. He's definitely uh, yeah. very smart, very calculated. Uh, there's a bunch of episodes we get later on where, the, you know, is he lying or is he telling the truth? And uh, we find out, like, just how good he is at being devious. Um, yeah, and politics is his game. So, you know, that that struck me when I saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, he would know something was up there with the plain clothes Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, but but we we've got so there's some interesting things that happen at the beginning of this episode, Jeff. Uh, like well, beyond the explosion of the Bach Nora, which kind of sets this whole thing off and kind of sets the Maki off, who they kill seventy five Cardassians. Uh, uh, they accuse of shipping weapons into the DMZ, as I call it up here in Canada, not the DMZ. Uh, the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. But we get this conversation between Kira and Dax, which I think is more important. About Dax going on a date with Captain Baudet, who <laughs> Esri Dax will later admit she sleeps with Dax. Why so we it, know they hooked up. Why is it every time there's a Dax scene in a serious episode, it's like, guess who I fucked? You know, <laughs> like, it, it's, I'm just like, well, I don't get it. I don't understand where she fits in sometimes. I'm just like, what? And Akira, she's promiscuous. That's Akira's her thing. Just like you're gross. You want to look at a guy's brain while you're eating I will some say, spaghetti. I will say one thing about this scene that I liked, especially after now that I've seen this 
rewatched this episode after watching the entire series is that Dax digs at Kira's choice of men in this scene. She basically tells Kira that she goes for substance and it basically tells her that she's terrible taste in men. Well, she's only had Vedic Burial at this point, right? Exactly. But yeah. then, <laughs> she does. Yes. She does have a terrible taste. But in then it. you continue on with up until like yeah, Shakar. Oh, Shakar hasn't come along yet, right? Yeah, but right, but he sucked but too. That trend tends to continue <laughs> for a while until she's like, "Oh shit, maybe I should do something different." Yeah, but like, yeah, well, not, none of Kira's romances ever worked. For, like, Odo was the best, I think, of the three, and it still didn't work. He it left. Still didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. you want to be married to Kira? You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, ask Julian Bashir. Uh, <laughs> They're not married anymore, so no, I know exactly. <laughs> uh, also, Bashir in this episode, uh, oh, it might be at the end of the next episode, but he's holding a phaser with Cisco, and I'm like, how often do you see a doctor holding a phaser? Like, <laughs> not very often. Like Every one? time I see yeah. Bashir holding a phaser, you can't see that it, now. It, it, it's like the Kevin Costner effect. I was it makes the phaser look less dangerous. Um, I was amazed he brought this. This was the away team he chose for the confrontation. You know, at least I can't see it. <laughs> Can you see the picture? No, we did for a second. At least I could for a second, but now I can't. Oh, see I still it. see it. Oh, you, oh now, now I see it. Now I see it goes away. Weird. Oh, I see it. Maybe I can uh, still see it. we can still see it. Uh, I've never. I always thought we had the same experience with these things, but I, uh, maybe not. Interesting. But do you uh, remember the episode two where uh, I think they're taking back the station? Maybe. No, it's when I think it's when the when the Bajorans take the station over, and he kicks the grate down, and he's holding the the phaser. Bashir is holding the phaser on them. He always looks so fucking ridiculous. Holy yeah. Man. Yeah, Bashir never, even when they get to the war, uh, he's never that like no, much I'm not buying it. No, no. He's the doctor, I get it, but they give him they try to give him these moments. It it, it never it never it's like Jake Sisko has better fight scenes, I think, than Julian Bashir. Uh throughout the course <laughs> of the show. And he's not in Starfleet. At least there's action. He's running away. He's good. Yeah. Because we're used to Bashir doing ridiculous screams in hallways. Uh, yeah. Oh. 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 Remember that one? Oh, yes. Um, did yeah. you guys like the also in the fight scene where Odo, for you know, I love it so convenient. It, whenever he wants to go into liquid form, he turned into like yeah, Indiana Jones and he yeah. like threw his like liquid arm okay. at yeah. the guy. We need but to talk. Never stop a murder when it happens directly beside him. That's right. Yeah. Odo. Can we talk about Odo? Because I had some notes here about Odo. Uh, okay. I I still contend not good at his job. I don't understand why he's why Cisco is so uh, prevalent on him being one of his officers because he's like I want. First of all, Ducat sneaks onto the station. Then. <laughs> He gets abducted off the station. Uh, then uh, he he the only reason he's able to kind of figure out at all what happened was because he just goes right to Quark. That's like his oh look at all my great police work. I just picked up Quark and I pressed him. <laughs> um, and then and then, 
And then I think Quark should be the security on the station. He knows everything that's going on. He knows way more. He's way more important the mission. O'Brien does something. O'Brien finds the. Sh I remember when we were watching. I was like, shouldn't Odo be doing that? Like O'Brien finds the ship that. Uh, he, he finds like the device that like, shows. Yeah. And I'm like, shouldn't yeah. Odo be doing that? It should have like, been Odo or Dax. It might have been the science person, but they gave it to to O'Brien to do. And um, yeah, right? just the fact that it was the Federation technology. But yeah. uh, what's and Odo just makes excuses. Well, if you let me run this place like a totalitarian regime, we would have order. <laughs> you know, we would have. Uh, but you don't even carry a phaser, Odo. You only use your like your sometimes. Like, and he sometimes doesn't like yeah, to goo too. because he doesn't yeah. like people looking at him weird. Right. I don't think he is suited for security. And he doesn't no. even turn into anything cool. Like to uh, you know, if he turned into like a big like Sasquatch and was throwing people around the room, that'd be amazing. Right. But he doesn't he could just turn into a pair of handcuffs. That would work too. Sure. <laughs> He's got so many options. Yeah. It's only after they introduce the Dominion that Odo becomes this like intrinsically more valuable player for their team. Yeah. So I guess. Good on Cisco for staying loyal to him for as long as he does. Odo, but it... for me, Odo is he's a great detective. He's good at figuring out stuff after it happens. He's not good okay. as a chief of security for stopping things before it happened. Of course he's a good before detective. He's like, always standing next to the person yeah, who like, got shot. But even <laughs> but even those episodes where he's not, where yeah. he has to figure out something's happened and he has to figure out and catch who did. That's great. He's a great detective. He's great at figuring out something that's already happened. But like Worf has legitimate concerns when he comes aboard. Comes aboard. And then but the whole point of that is that oh what well, Worf you were wrong about Odo. He's so good. No way. Though it's he is so disgusted by security on the station that he lives on the defiant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like Odo, like you're right, like he's a great like cult case guy. He's a good like yeah. oh, yeah. he was killed. Out, yeah. It's well, Admiral Nechev too. Admiral Nechev's like, are you sure you don't want like a Starfleet guy? Like, uh, do you want, I maybe Lieutenant Primmon didn't work out uh, for him, <laughs> but yeah. he was supposed to be their security guy, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Constable they really Constable tried. Odo. They really tried hard at casting when they casted Lieutenant Primmon. So, <laughs> so again, they're, they're setting up editing. I guess they must have known they were going to do Eddington season three, right? So they yeah. that that's a setup. And again, because they, they they this arc of like Starfleet hates Odo, Cisco constantly has to defend him. His role in and this. I, I like Odo. Like I like Odo's character, but I just. I love his interactions with Quark, but I think as a chief chief of security, he's too busy watching Quark. Yeah, Quark he's not even misses everything else on the station. He's not even a chief of security. He's just Quark's buddy. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, he's like his foil. Like honestly, like what I do dislike sometimes is they kind of force Odo into the action or into the into like the Starfleet stories. Um, in turn, you know, a little too much. His his role to me is on the station. He's like a character, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like Garrick, like Quark, like they live here and and yeah. they're part of this world, but they don't necessarily go out on on the frontier with you out on these like these missions. Uh, that's that's you, Dax, Kira, you know, uh, Bashir, and uh, I, I get you know Eddington when he comes along, Worf and those guys, but uh, th that. Nog, I guess, once he, once he gets into the crew. But that's not their job. That's not what their role is. That's not what will excite me. If you like the Odo, who's 
like sometimes he's on the defiant with them like later on in the show and he's like i'm pushing buttons i'm like what are you doing like what's your job there odo like you know <laughs> yeah. yeah don't worry wharf's got security on the defiant they know how to read their own he monitors he lives there at this house who's, who's, who's watching <laughs> yeah. the station while you're on the defiant yeah like because they got a lot of characters to go around they got o'brien all these all these guys I think you're right. I think they should have left him on the station a lot more than than they did. Just bring some no name Richard. So like I like when but it's not a Starfleet one. The when uh the like Ferengi on Earth and Odo is the dog. Yeah. You remember that? What's what happened? Ferengi, it's, it's it's Quark, Rom, and Nog go back to uh like nineteen fifties Earth. Oh yeah, yeah. Little green men. Yeah. Yeah. That's what about it? I like that, and I like Odo in that. Right, he like so you take a bunch of their characters that, and it's a not a completely non Starfleet story, even though they're going to Earth, ironically, to go to Starfleet Academy. But it's 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 a, a self contained story with with sort of because that's the kind of the beautiful thing about Deep Space Nine and a, and shows like Babylon Five that they sort of had this other world that you weren't full you it was an integrated lived in world versus like a starship which is more of like a a, a military or like a, like a craft that you're not meant to live in forever right but the station is yeah. kind of a more of a permanent setting so yeah. Yeah. but that definitely. proves my point he leaves the station unattended and without its chief of security to just see what quark is up to and then gets stuck on earth of the past. Right. Plus going to earth is like a few, it doesn't, you don't get to earth in a day. It takes a, like a, it's a, it's a trip. Yeah. But the chief of security shouldn't be sneaking off the ship to be watching one person to catch him. Like he's mm -hmm. just more focused on Quark than he is on the station. I think that's I agree. why he misses, you know, people getting yeah. murdered. Anyway, right like, him. He doesn't like when Quark leaves him. <laughs> Right. Oh, do we get relationship? Yeah. That's what we get at the the end of the series when like I forget when Cork asks Odo something like like did, did you have fun or do you like me or something like that? And he goes, yeah. oh. and I gotta pitch I gotta pitch for you. If they ever if they ever pick up the story of D Space Nine, because you know how Odo does go back to the Dominion and he joins the founders and whatever. You know, what if he just cloned an army of quarks for himself, but he reprogrammed them in like in the Vorta way, just to be like, you know, running stuff in the Dominion? That would be funny if they did that. They that <laughs> yeah, he just. I feel. Of... I feel like that's a one-off episode, though. I joke. It's like a one-off joke. It feels like a Lord Dex thing, maybe. Yeah. Uh, something you throw into Lower Decks, where Odo created. Really a sure if that'd yeah, be a two-part. Yeah, Lower Decks episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Odo is just. Living with a bunch of quarks. Yeah, but yeah, just, <laughs> I'm throwing him in jail. He's <clears throat> all that stuff. All right, that was just my Odo thing, Jeff. I just wanted to get that out of the way. If you curfews, what was he? What what are the measures he wanted? Curfews and like illegal stops and seizures and like random uh, spot checks. And yeah, he uh, wanted to be the authoritarian. He wanted to be like the Gestapo or something. He was. <laughs> He wanted to be like it was when the current the occupation running the station. And I like I like that. Uh, and now that you mentioned that, I like that's a good era line right there. When he says, "Say what you want," but it was safer, and she just turns to him and said, "Not if you were a Bajoran." 
Yeah. Or just, a human or a Cardassian because there were two kidnappings in this episode. No, no, no. well, no. no. He said it, it was, was safer, safer during the occupation. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like, like, yeah, it, what, yeah, sure. But the Bajorans didn't have it safe. And right. when but, she says that, he just kind of shuts up and it's like, yeah. But it's not safe for Dukat or for that uh, Maquis guy that gets abducted either because it's just like, here's a hypo spray or they phaser Dukat. And that, like, why do phasers not set off alarms on this station? Why is that? That seems like something you should be able to install. Um, you know, it's there's just it, I think that is installed. Well, I don't know if Dukat got phasered and nothing, no, no, or anything red alert. Security guy did something. Yeah, yeah maybe Edmonton disabled that in that area. There wasn't enough time. I don't think they do generally go off, though. People get yeah, phasered all the time. Yeah. Well, right. the thing is, the thing about D Space Nine is that, like, the compared to like the Enterprise, things go up. Like, there are more. Like, seems like there's more internal sensors on the Enterprise, and like you can't fire because remember, like uh, in Star Trek Six, she fires the phaser and says nobody can fire a phaser. I guess on kill, uh, without setting off the, the sensor. I guess, yeah, but, but, but phasers station... go off on the Enterprise D. Yeah, and things don't go off. Like that's just one. I, I feel like Star Trek Six when she does that, they abandon that because they realized if we have that, we can't do half of our stories. Like yeah, at least an authorized phaser on a starship, we we don't have any stories to tell. Right. I guess so. Like no kidnapping stories at least. Um yeah. or or people so getting I, I, randomly murdered and they have to yeah. investigate. Yeah. So the I one, think the show just kind of abandoned that. The one thing I do wish Deep Space Nine took more time to do for us was uh, explain, like, just show us how big the station is. How long does it take to get from, like, where Dukat got phasered to get to Quarks or to get to Ops? Or how long does it take? You know, because everybody just appears where they need to be. You know, for yeah. the scene, yeah. they never really explained like how long it took them to walk or whatever. I wish they kind of did that. I think, I think that's something they would do now if the show oh, yeah. was now because they would have CG and and whatever. But you know, in the '90s, they just had whatever sets they had. Right. Built the promenade was huge for them. Like that's a massive, massive set. The promenade, yeah. Yeah. and uh, even ops compared to like a, the the bridge. Right, these are two right. big uh sets and and so they were like what do you else do you want plus you have like a whole other stage you can build like other places works and then eventually you get vic fontaine's that's terrible and well, it just outstays its welcome it's you know it's really the issue yeah there. they did too much of that shit in season seven but that, but you're right they do sort of focus especially on the promenade on this one area yeah, they never really show like, like when you see like the the Enterprise docked at these days nine, you can see how big the station is. How, yeah, yeah, it's enormous. It's huge, and so for I wish they kind of did that, but I know they couldn't with the nineties and the you know, yeah technology at the time. Back there. It, it didn't blow up. Like when eventually Star Trek will get there again. Like they'll they'll return to D Space Nine. Might be cool if they did another in, show. In more of the shows. It could be Lower Deck. Lower Decks was already there. Lower Decks went there in season one. Right? Lower Decks Brief. isn't, isn't going to like, you know, yeah. Like it's Canada. It's not going to show us the size of something as well because it's a, it's, a it's a cartoon. Canon cartoon. Yeah. Moving on. Um, yeah, but, you know, just remember it's, um, you know, so is Discovery, I guess. And it is. Star Trek Into Darkness. 
That's canon too. Well, it's, <laughs> but it's a different dimension. <laughs> but, Enterpri- but Enterprise isn't. But no, Enterprise, Enterprise is Enterprise. Exist. We it know does. it doesn't exist. Guys, we're gonna show. It. We're gonna do it on Saturday. It's gonna be amazing. Um. Okay. Um, so, anything else we kind of want to touch on here? Is there something? So much, gonna... Jeff. Like we're jumping around here, but like, come on. Like this world, the treaty, the DMZ. Like we got uh, the whole scene with Ducat and Cisco in the runabouts. A couple scenes with Ducat and Cisco in the runabouts, but like the one where Cisco and it's basically Cisco and, and Ducat getting to know each other. You know, and this like where he's like. Why is my console turned off? He's like, I heard you, Chris Hessen's got photographic memories. He's like, oh, I see. Well, guess what? Our ships are already better than yours. And then he goes to fire that torpedo. He's like, it works like this. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know how to wreck your torpedoes. And like this interesting dynamic they have, right? Whereas we know Ducat's bad. He says as much. He says, kill them all. He even talks about how he everyone thinks that I should have killed all the Bajorans before I left. Like, and he almost positions it like, oh, well, I'm such a hero. Uh, you know, and so sometimes, like as much as Cisco is a great character and noble, he he flirts a little bit too much here with Ducat in, in retrospect, in terms of his villainy. But it's, uh, I guess, maybe he also sees it as a chance to do his job, which is to sort of build peace and not just for Bajor, but for the whole sector, and uh, you know, to kind of bring stability because there's a lot of a lot of pain here. There's the Maquis or whatever. I think Cisco keeps Ducat around the same reason he keeps Quark around. Just he keeps the nefarious people around in case they become useful. <laughs> right. That's I think th- I, I think that's a theme through well, this show with Cisco. At, yeah, I don't look, think Cisco is a hundred percent good. Well he's not. Through well, no, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like he's got this. I think that's why Cisco is such an interesting character is because we're coming from Picard who was always good and always on the side of this is this is what the federation tells us this is how we have to do it this is how we have to play it he's this this character that is always going off and and working out treaties and doing all this stuff and then we get to Cisco and he does some shady shit through the entire series. Yeah, and I agree with Kevin that he keeps people close. Like, just look at, like, That's... Garrick, right? Like, he keeps him Garrick. close. Yeah. Whenever he needs something kind of shady done with Garrick, he uses him. When he needs something, yeah. someone spied on, he uses Odo. When he needs Kira to go blow something up, she, he does that. You know, like, she, he kind of has all these, like, and if you look at his crew, they're all kind of, like, rebellious types. None of them are goody two-shoes other than, other than Bashir. Yeah. Bashir is the who, only who he one. doesn't like. Right. Yeah, he, doesn't he doesn't like. like. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he got stuck with Bashir, right? Because Bashir says he got to pick his assignment. So I feel right. like Bashir got to pick this job. Cis- Cisco didn't pick Bashir. No. 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 Bashir was assigned to him. Yes. Yeah, Cis- Cisco is a commander. He doesn't get to pick who's. I think he gets some say. He might get, uh, because he's still the commanding officer. He's not a captain. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but, but he's. Starfleet uh, Medical is, is like a whole different thing. Right, like right. I don't think Picard got to pick his entire crew. It's like, but I think I think they get a stay in personnel, especially higher up the rank they go, because it's kind of like you're the boss of the company, and then you have people who work under you, and yeah, people who work you're under them. 
Well, so. they get a say because I mean, Picard said in many episodes to different people, "I requested you." Like, yeah, even like Ensign Cito Jackson, who you wouldn't be responsible for. Yeah, like, did Kirk request McCoy, or was McCoy assigned to the Enterprise? And Kirk, just oh kind no, of, like there, know, we right? know like, that like I, that Spock was already on the ship when right. Kirk showed up. So, yeah. so yeah, so like it's not like they handpick every single crewman. It's not like that. That's more of the job of the first officer, actually. But they have like the the whole personnel of the crew is something that the, like. Kira has to know everybody who works under the, the staff, right? And so does Cisco uh, to some extent. He has to know, especially when they only have like 300 personnel, right? It's not like they have a big operational staff. Yeah. Uh, where was I going with this? Um, uh, we're talking about Cisco and all that. Yeah, he's not 100% good in what he, how he uses people, but he tries to do the right thing. But Oh, of course, yes. Uh, but there's some dark shit in this episode, guys. Like you know, and and the threat, like even like they they would they would do this stuff where they couldn't show us this awful violence and heinous stuff, but they would tell us in dialogue, right? It kind of kind of almost almost too casually, in because yeah. like I remember, I think there's an episode of Voyager where Tuvok's trying to train a bunch of Maquis to like you know get into shape, and the gun guy's like, yeah, and so I I kind of found love on this planet, and then you know this Cardassian's like you know raped my 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 wife and broke her skull and you're like yeah. yeah you're like you know and then they talk in this episode about how yeah they they found uh, one one cardassian planet they found to a bunch of federation uh colonists and they 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 uh, stoned them to death and you're like what you know like they're stoning them to death um yeah and, stoning. and, and so you're like okay well telling me and showing me are are different though i think i think that there is there is a or I don't know how you guys feel about that, but like, I think I might sympathize a bit more with the Maquis if it wasn't purely like sort of um, hypothetical, because that's how it kind of feels because of the way it's used in this kind of uh, passerby dialogue. The, I think part of the reason I have a problem with the Maquis is, is not, yes, okay, there's people are stoned to death and they've got a hard time under their Cardassians, but I feel like if, say, the borders were redrawn here and I was on the wrong side of it and I wanted to stay, but then I saw people getting stoned to death. But my former country was like, Hey, you and your family can just come here and live exactly the way you were living before. Yeah. Just, just come over. <laughs> I, I think I would just do it instead of fighting. Right. I just, a lot okay. of and I'd probably be like, Hey, everybody else, let's go. Like, let's just fucking go. Maybe that's the problem is they don't show like that disparity. Like, like there would be certainly some people who would just be like, let's go home. And like, they should maybe could have portrayed that. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going home, but there's always going to be a few who don't, but they kind of, they kind of position it as like, no, nobody would ever want to leave everybody, you know, like not want to leave, but would accept that they might need to, because there's the world is bigger than them. And there's other things going on. If you can grow tomatoes on one planet, you can grow them on another planet. But it's not you don't even, have to. They don't force you to use replicators. Even, you could just go to another planet and grow tomatoes. An entire planet, they just have to move to the other side of the planet. Is that true in that in this episode? They're just on the wrong side of the planet. Yes. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. So, like, if say they were like, okay, stuff's gone down. You just have to. Just we're just gonna move you to England, but we're gonna set you up a house, and you're gonna have all the stuff you need, and like people you know will still be around. Like we're just gonna create you a new, like a new Burlington, but in England. You just have to move. 
and we've got it all set up for you and it's not going to cost you anything. I'd be like, okay, I'll move. But there were definitely people who would say never, ever, ever would I do that, right? And you could, it's, you can't argue against it either, right? Like that's also the issue at hand because there I are think, like, I think part of the problem is, is we're Canadians arguing or talking about a show that is made for Americans and Americans and love yeah. their country. Like they love the land and where they're from and they find it really important and i don't think we do the same way i don't care that i'm from ontario or not at yeah, all like, yeah. if someone was like <laughs> you can no longer live where you live but we'll just move you to the other side of the country and set you up with a place to live and it's I... not going to cost you anything we'll just move you over there and and you'll be all set up i'd be like oh okay this is kind of if like um, like if it's going to avoid war, I'd be like, all right, Dave, this might also have a great parallel to the expulsion of the Acadians, too, because you got, you know, a treaty deciding where people are going to live, taking them from a frozen winterland. Everyone goes, oh, that's kind of crappy. Sending them to either the French islands, Louisiana or back to France. Everyone. Well, that seems pretty good. But that was their home. No, it's not, it's not okay. I'm not trying to say that forced relocation is okay because I think fundamentally it's not. But right. I accept that in in the, what what the narrative that Star Trek's trying to present me with here is that they have countless planets that for whatever reason they chose to set up these colonies on in the space of a hostile alien empire, and there was a massive war where where presumably millions, if not billions, of Federation people died, right? Were killed, and Cardassians were killed. And in the, I, get, I get the whole thing about being your home and everything, but like they have countless numbers of planets. You would almost have no difference. Right. And, and, and I think a certain, whatever they have to do to make it right, because this is what the cost of peace was. This is like Quark talks about the cost of peace. What you know? What does it cost to you? What are you willing to give up? What are you not willing to give up? And and so the Federation made this deal. It's it was obviously a bad deal because the result, the Maquis, is the result. So they they went too far with it. But they have that's the deal they made. That's that's the way it works. But I don't so, know if it was a bad deal. And you can't. I don't think you can draw parallels between what's going on with the Maquis and say native native cultures and First Nations. Because First Nations had nowhere to go. Right. We we were just coming here and they had nowhere to go. Right. Well, nothing was broken here. Like we like I think it's also that uh, you know, that that our ancestors, you know, and other others like did a lot of Jeff, you know quite a bit about this these subjects. Like, you know, like it, there was a lot of bad things done, not just to not just to Native Americans, like to all kinds of peoples, but yeah, in, in particular, they that was probably the most heinous in uh and um and yeah, like, but it's so it's it's a it's a you get like this mixture of emotions about the whole thing because. <laughs> but the difference is, is the Federation wasn't coming in and saying, "Hey, we've set up this treaty. You are now on the wrong side of the border." Right. They have to move the the Cardassians that are on this side of the border have to move. So say, so the Cardassians on the south of the border now have to move north, and the you guys, the Federation that are north of the border now have to move south of the border. They're setting them up with a place to be that's exactly like the same aside from where they are. 
They're giving them the tools they need to succeed. It's not like they're like, oh, you're on the wrong side of the border. Here's some smallpox blankets. It's not the same thing. They're not trying to murder all of them because they're on the wrong side of the border. They're relocating them and giving them the exact same thing other than the land they were literally right. on. So my question is, why did they write it that way? Why didn't they write it in a way that made it us more sympathetic as an audience? I think because, I, I don't know. And I, I think don't the know. reason is I think the reason is because they want us to sympathize with Cisco and not the Maquis. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know? they're our heroes of our show, but we're supposed to kind of feel mixed about it. Because we're supposed to think that the Cardassians that are sneaking all these weapons in are the bad guys, but the Maquis we're supposed to sympathize with, but they have the exact same grievance. Yeah, and we don't really know who started what and what's been going on. The problem is literally the exact same thing. They were on one side of the border. This treaty happened, and now they're on the wrong side of the border and have to move to the other side of the border. It's something like that. That, that is some, They redrew the border, and so think, a bunch of people ended up on the wrong sides. Why do we think that one is good and one is bad? They're because both. of what they tell us in the show, because the, we're told like only what like the Federation, uh, Cisco and O'Brien, who were believed to be are not conspiracy theorists, uh, think that uh, you know the Cardassians have some pretty intense uh, education methods, uh, viewpoints around um, how they train their you know their military and their, their children and all kinds of things. The plot confirms it all, though. Interrogations, yeah. yeah, and what, yeah, so. And the fact that, you know, and Hudson's like, yeah, so their their colonies that ended up on our side of the border will protect those, but they're not doing the same thing because they hate that we're not Cardassians. They're they're the ones who are intolerant. Now, does that need to be kind of fact-checked and challenged? Probably. I don't know. Like, we, we know the Cardassians just did this occupation of Bajor, so it seems credible. Well, we would think that that was true. But, again, it's not like they're, they're men without a country. They can leave. They are free to leave right which is part of the problem they don't really establish in star trek enough is like why okay how many people live on earth like they tell us about nine you know the closest we get is like nine billion in star trek first contact okay that's two more billion than we have today uh so so it, so then humans went out to other planets mars other things but and and so we're this far out in in space um we must, Riker, there must be like, what does Riker say? Humans. What does Riker say? How many people are living on the moon? A couple million, like 10 million yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. But how many billions of humans are there in the galaxy, in the Federation? It's, it, we're never, we can, it's impossible to know, but it seems like there are countless planets, uh, human colonies all over the place. They're all kind of, they all look like Southern California mostly. And uh, they, fine you know and like i'm like but how many people can you fit on a planet like billions of people yeah you know um so and there's so and many in, in a time where they can literally duplicate anything with replicators except for blankets for orphans blankets, blankets well, for orphans you know, only on bajor only if they're the federation can make as many blankets as they want for but orphans. not for the bajorans no, they need to suffer because they're not in the federation. Right. But actually, what happens if those Cardassians poison your replicators? But at this point, don't eat the blankets. Don't yeah. eat those those 
blankets. But in a time where we could literally replicate anything, they could move them to another side of the planet and literally make their house look exactly the same. Their house, the land, the setup, everything could look identical. Well, they, that's what they, they deal with this issue in Star Trek Insurrection, speaking of insurrections. And that's what Picard stands up against in, on behalf of the Baku. But there's, I feel like in that one, because they have like this whole longevity of their species or whatever, and the fact that they were uh, living for hundreds of years, and Picard makes some good points. Uh, this is who are we to decide the evolution of these people? And they were here for, I think that's like a different case than maybe the Maquis, who seem to be. Yeah, because this is this is a federation co- federation colonies, and so this is federation colonies. So they have a right. To a say in this because it's their own colonies. Yes, it's their own citizens. But later on, these these people will say we're not we're not with the Federation anymore. We're not. They renounce the Federation and then they become uh, ex nationalists. And they join. They go to the Badlands. We see the, a little bit of the Badlands tonight, Jeff. Uh, but yeah. lame Badlands. Uh, Wyoming. But then they have no say to this planet because this planet is now half Federation and half Cardassian. So if right. they if they've disassociated from both of those then they have no rights to the planet. Yeah, that's true. Too. Why do they need to live? Federate, they say they're Federation citizens. Even though they're still Maquis, they're Federation citizens. And what they need to understand is they're living in Cardassian territory. Yeah. And they had a choice. And they did. And I think this is why I don't sympathize did, with but- the Maquis. And I don't think it's parallel to the things that have gone on it's, here. But- but like, okay, it'd be like, okay, it'd be like moving, like to you know California and the old west, and then the government comes in, like, and this happened where the you know say you're Mexican, right, and you're living in California, and then all of a sudden one day the government just completely gives all that your land to America, and now your land's America, America's land. It's kind of like what's going on here, you know. It's like yeah. a treaty decided where you should live, you know. And then they'll expel you, or they'll force relocate you, or wasn't well, you know, that what happened in Israel and Palestine? Exactly, treaties. Yeah. This is kind of what this is about. And you know, yes, it's easy to say, oh, they can leave, they can easily leave, but that's not good. That's not realistic. That's not what's going. That's the people's motivations are built that way. You know, it is realistic. It is in realistic the future. in the future when they're offering them the exact same thing, right. just in a slightly. Like, different they just spot. got there twenty years ago. Like they're, they're, it's not like they've been. It's not like with the Bajorans. This is I've been our home for millions of years or whatever. Like it's, they just got here 20, 20 years ago, and like okay, there was a big war, and you're lucky. You're, you're gonna get yourself killed on uh, probably. Well, they do. They all do get themselves killed. Like what? What are we? How are we kidding ourselves? The Dominion comes along and wipes them out, right? So was it worth it? Uh, was the fight? Was the fight worth it in the end? No. Was it just? No. Twenty years and they just figured out how to fucking grow tomatoes, and now they're pissed because they have to leave. Why, why are why they did... having so much trouble growing tomatoes? I grew so many tomatoes this summer in my. Like, we keep out, we keep coming back to Eddington's tomato oh, thing. He's, he's not even in this. Mars, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't get over the tomato thing, and it's. I'm only using tomatoes because every, every. It's not just tomatoes, but every time they do one of these episodes where someone either doesn't want to leave or they're on some planet, it's always. This romanticized, it's like they're all organic farmers and we're all like, oh no, 
like it's all romanticized just growing shit you just put seeds in the fucking ground it's not that hard hard he, when he, he, he took farm. that land he made something of that look, land look what we created yeah you planted a seed and then you sat around and drank for three months like congratulations you grew a tomato great what is this obsession people have with growing? Sh like, I grew from the land and I made of the land. And I, yeah, what is I actually get that. I enjoy growing stuff. But this is supposed but to be 300 I, I, years <laughs> in the future. Like, growing stuff shouldn't be such a problem. They should be able to grow stuff on massive levels, like on, on massive agricultural stuff. levels. They have whole planets. Right? Maybe there's an overpopulation farm. problem. Maybe humanity has an overpopulation problem, and we have to we have too many colonies and too many people to take care of. Well, maybe that's what that, that Cisco does sort of allude to that in this episode. He's like, you look at Earth, it's paradise, but like you know, people maybe paradise is too full. Maybe there's too many people living in paradise, and that's why people you know like are colonists. They're getting out of there. They're they're trying to find a new place to establish roots. They finally do. And then the Federation that they left basically says, well, we have other issues with Cardassia. We need to make this treaty go through. So you're not important. And that would make you mad. I, that's what these people are. They're mad. That's why Balan is angry. Uh, you know, that's why a lot of these Maquis are pissed off, like Eddington, uh, this Cal guy. They're all pissed off at the Federation because they, they're, they're selling out their own people in their mind. They're ready to plunge the Federation into war over their fucking tomatoes. Yes, tomatoes are important. <laughs> they make sauce. <laughs> yeah, like well, I think the fact that Kira's ultimately not with them, right? Nope. Uh, yeah. So yeah what does that say? But that's mostly because they're against Dukat, and uh, Kira likes yeah. to see any opportunity where Dukat might die. Kira's on board. Kira ends up being right. Yeah. <laughs> about everyone yep about win too and for sure yeah <laughs> she's wrong about Barile though she should have stayed away from that guy oh yeah that guy was a loser and the, uh, no, what was the other guy that she had the baby uh, but he uh, he was O'Brien? no no the, the <laughs> guy that she was with when she was having the baby Shakar um, yeah oh, Shakar yeah. yeah that was, that was Ronan the, the the Beverly Crusher's ghost uh, candle thing. Oh, same yeah, actor? Same, same actor, yeah. yeah. Duncan Regeer, oh, Canadian actor. Beverly. Beverly. I sound like I'm Scot I, I'm supposed to be Scottish, but I speak with a Canadian accent. Okay. Okay, you want to back there? Want to break down some fun sure. facts? Yeah. Fun facts with Jeff. Oh, uh, wait, I need my I have to copy and paste it. I'm just going to start. Uh, okay. The reference to the Badlands and losing ships is a precursor to the Voyager episode, which premiered a year later. Voyager was stranded in the Delta Quadrant for seven years after being lost in the Badlands. So this is the start of that, like Dave said earlier. This episode marks the first appearance of the Maquis, whose origins are rooted in events of TNG, Journey's End. Uh, the Maquis, who appear in... Quite a few DS9 episodes also appear in another TNG episode called Preemptive Strike. Rolaren. Cork mentions that there are 285 rules of acquisition. So we know. Well, yeah. Is this the first time they explained what the rules of acquisition were? I think or... so, too. Yes. 
Yeah. And I was surprised the Vulcan didn't know the rules of acquisition. Yeah, they seem to know a lot about Earth history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the suggestion of David, uh, director David Livingston, costume designer Robert Blackman originally designed a much more revealing outfit for Sakona than seen in the final uh, product. However, when Rick Bourbon saw it, he told Blackman to tone it back somewhat. Blackman still likes the outfit that Sakona wears. However, as it shows off actress Bertila Damas's figure and is a much sexier look than ever seen on a Vulcan before. Is that why you thought she was Romulan? Yeah, maybe. I did make maybe. a comment about, about what she was wearing. About yeah. her outfit. But it was, yeah. it was a, it weird to see a Vulcan wearing. She was not as modest as you would expect. Right, but not even uh, modest. Just like modest, it's totally covering, and it's beige. It's like gray. She looks like she's wearing like a, the most it's modest like thing I've seen. Like she's wearing chair upholstery. Like, it's almost like the Vulcan version of an evening dress. Like it's weird. Mm, okay. That was Rick Berman's scale it back. So yes. uh, oh. ruled acquisition number two one four two fourteen. Never begin a negotiation on an empty stomach. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think the Brangy would do it. The conversation that Cisco has with the Admiral was actually included in the script, even though it was not heard. It's with another Admiral? Yes. The Maquis was named after the French resistance against Nazi occupation from 1940 to 1944. However... Their predicament is a more similar to the that of French citizens caught in Algeria during the country's war with France in the 1950s. Yeah, like the name of the Maquis, we don't really talk about it, but it's kind of dumb. Uh, like, wh wh why did they pick it? Uh, so, so because they think they're the French resistance in World War II. How? Um, it, yeah. the, you're right. The, the parallels aren't there. Um, and the parallels are more there with the Bajorans and the Cardassians. With that, yeah, because yeah, the it's yeah more with the occupation with World War II, and this isn't about occupation. The Shakar resistance cell has more in common. Yeah. Yep. Um, but is is it just because it sounds cool? I think so. They like the way it sounds. Yeah. Uh, an early idea for this episode had Jake get involved with an old friend of Cisco's who was now a mercenary. I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, I don't know where they would have fit that in. Um, a model of the Dedalius class starship can be seen in Cisco's office when he and Cal are talking shortly after Cal's arrival. I noticed that. Why do you think he has that, Jeff? Because he's... Um, I don't think he has it at all. I don't think if you asked Avery Brooks what class starship that was, he would know. Maybe well, Ben No, I'm not, not Avery Brooks. I'm talking about Benjamin Cisco. Why does Benjamin Cisco have that? Do you think he served on a ship like that? I don't know. They never tell. Do you think us. with maybe with Cal Hudson? Maybe with Cal Hudson. Maybe that's why it's in the ship. The epi this episode, They're like that's the ship they were on. Maybe if they had talked about it, that would have been good. Yeah, because it's a weird look. It's like the ship with it looks like a ball. It's like a ball at the front, and then it's kind of got like a like an original series looking sort of secondary hull. Mm -hmm. um, not not unlike the medical ship that uh, Crusher commands in All Good Things, right. um, and. Um, so, but that, I think that is a medical class, the the, the Daedalus class, right? Okay, I know about yeah. my ships, like my uniforms. Yeah, we know. 
This is the yeah. first time Captain <laughs> Baudet is mentioned. Well, he gets brought up a lot. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, they need to show me what a Galamite looks like. I demand yeah, it. They, I want yes. to see one. You they can't talk to... about them so long and not. And not they have work. a they have a brain twice as big as a human. They are, their skull is transparent and they have toothy smiles. Yeah, they have to yes. show that. Uh, the Maquis settlement is a reuse of a set from TNG, The Ensigns of Command, from 1989. Hmm. Instance of command. Okay. Um, so I will go to the next step. Who was this guy? The 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 Zoblian or whatever. The Zeppelite. How come we get to see what a Zeppelite looks like, but we don't get a Galamite? He just looks like a founder that's gone moldy. <laughs> he looks like he's got a bit of blue cheese going on or something <laughs> there. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I received he's a blue cheese founder. <laughs> I receive in barracks is extremely proud of this episode and considers it to be one of the most important early episodes in establishing the darker Star Trek ideology for which Deuce Nine would become famous. I agree. Great line that on on Cardassia, the verdict verdict is always known before the trial begins, became the basis of the courtroom drama tribunal a few episodes yeah. later. Yeah. Where does that line come from? Because isn't isn't like you know? Um, remember if you go back to Duet, which is from the first season, where it was the guy, uh, the Eamon Maritza character going, and the guilty, the verdict was always the same, it's guilty, you know, and doing yeah. that that yeah. whole thing. Um, I think you it know, comes and, from like a, like a fascist ideology that like once you're condemned to be, you know, a criminal, once you're a subversive person. Yeah, once you yeah. you know you say some very very bad things, very mean. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, a line cut from the this the episode stated that Hudson and Cisco had once played played Domjot on Pelio Station against two Zach Dorn on the suggestion of Curzon Dax. The two Starfleet officers clearly lost, and Curzon told them that he had placed a high bet on the Zach Dorn. <laughs> <laughs> so he made a bunch of money. Yeah, so off their off their loss. Yeah, and then again, you were like, okay, I want to know what was going on. I I especially want to know what was going on with Curzon Dax and these two back in the day on that Daedalus class ship. Dave wants to know. Uh, Rule of acquisition number three was mentioned: never spend more for an acquisition than you have to. Hmm. Seems like a good rule. This is the first episode. Oh, sorry, good. Do we know what the first rule of acquisition is? No, oh, yeah, I think I so. I don't think so. Here you go. You can pull them up. There's a huge list. Oh, okay. 285. But they're not all full because they never mentioned everyone. They're not all there. They haven't. Yeah. No, they. there is a list of all the ones that they've mentioned, though. Um, this is yeah, the first episode to introduce some ambigu- ambigu- uh, ambiguity in relation to the character of Goldacock. Which they play up really well through the rest of the series. Yeah, they do. Well, Ducat is one of the most interesting characters. Like that, that's the thing. Along with Cisco, I think, eventually. I I wish they had done a movie to end the show with Goldacons. Like they do it in the finale, but if they had made that like a movie, I think that would have been even better. Yeah. Uh, John Shuck has appeared in two Star Trek films and three Star Trek spinoff series. He is uh, his play. Wait, who's John Shuck? Is John Shuck in this? 
he, yes, he has played the Klingon ambassador Camarang in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. Hey. He played uh, in Undiscovered Country. He played Doctor Antok in Enterprise. Is this John Shuck? Is this what you're telling me? This is John Shuck. It is John Shuck. It is John yeah. Shuck. I am so disappointed that you didn't know that. I did not. I did not recognize him, the voice or anything. He's. I certainly didn't, but I'm disappointed that you didn't. I'm disappointed you myself. Love that character. I love. I love this actor. He was also in Babylon Five. I am tired of your Babylon <laughs> Five insurrection attempts. All right. <laughs> Come on, You're about this is to get impeached. <laughs> I know. I might keep referencing Battle of Five. He was draw. Speaking of John Shuck, he was formerly married to Susan Bay Nimoy, who would later marry Leonard Nimoy. Oh. Yeah, until his death. Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael... The first rule of acquisition is once you have their money, never, never give, give it, back. it back. Of course, that's the first rule. How right. silly of me. Uh, Michael <laughs> Bell has portrayed Zorn in Star Trek The Next Generation Encounter of Farpoint. He was also Borum in The Homecoming and Drafo Awa in this episode. Who are you talking about? Are you talking about like Cal Hudson's little henchman? Are you talking about this guy? Talking about Drafo Afa Awa. I don't know who he well, is, but uh, I don't know who who you could be talking about. Let's and, just say it's this guy. Okay, let's say it's this guy. Okay, so <laughs> Iris Stephen Bear intended to have Cal Hudson die at the end of this episode, but Michael Pillar opposed this at the time. When Pillar watched the da uh, the dailies, he commented to Bear that he was right. No, they um, should have killed him. They, they never bring him back. Bring him back, they right? They never bring him back. We find out he dies off camera. Like it's kind of it kind of takes it all out of this. You know, I think the idea was to bring him back, but then they decided Eddington was a better story arc yeah i guess so yeah like they because i think they feel i i have to feel like they didn't feel like this worked like as i don't think i feel like the actor playing cal hudson he you're right jeff his performance is kind of it's kind of meh to me yeah, i think no he's, connection. he doesn't have a strong connection here with avery uh i literally don't buy that they're friends at all no i don't no. buy it at all they're literally i feel like it's two actors just going through the two through the dialogue you know yeah. really I mean, they're really not. I don't know, and it's more him. It's it's his energy with Cisco. It's yeah, just it not work. like genuine or something, or it's just not like it's like they they don't really know each other. It feels like. Yeah. Uh, Casey, who plays uh, him, Bernie Casey, uh, who died in 2017. Uh, he was cast as Hudson in a 1984 interview. He said. I did the Maquis because I wanted to work with Avery Brooks, who I admire as an actor from having seen him in Spencer for Hire and A Man Called Hawk. Uh, and and so they went on to do Sequest and a bunch of other things. But I haven't uh, seen any of those things. Yeah. I used to love Sequest. So he, so, so he just wanted to be with this. He, want, he was actually a big admirer of Avery Brooks, according to him. And that's why right. he did but it. But probably didn't give a crap about Star Trek. And, no. and probably really just was like, yeah, they just wanted the opportunity to work with Avery Brooks. And that's probably yeah. why I come across that way. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, well, that's it for me. On uh, the final All right, well, let's get to uh, our, our ratings. Um, so Jeff and I, we did rate the episodes when we did uh, way back when, when we did Emissary Part 1 and 2, we did give them separate ratings and we are going to stick to that today. Oh. So... Um, 
Neil is not with us, so we will. St- I'm going to start. Uh, do Do you think we should just rate them kind of as we go? I'm going to give the same rating to both. I think they're both exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to. I think that. I feel like the beginning is a little stronger, so I'm going to give it about a, a seven and a point eight, and I'm going to give it about a seven and a half for the second part. Jeff. Um, I would go probably a seven point eight seven for both. About where I'm at with it. Actually, you're up next. Mine are the exact same as yours, Dave. Seven point eight for part one and seven point five for part two. Choice. Okay, and Kevin. I'm glad I watched it, and because of this podcast, I'm going to give both of these an eight. Okay. I think I think they're both good. Okay, so uh, about a seven point eight, a seven and a seven point seven point eight for part one, seven point seven part for part two. IMDb they both have the exact same rating of seven point nine. We're very much in the ballpark, uh, which you know if I average those together, we're not going to get too much of a difference. Nope. Uh, so this, but this is well above average, and I completely agree that this is the beginning of the start of sort of the next era of this show, which was getting out of these boring character yeah. development ep- setup episodes, <laughs> which yeah. didn't do enough, honestly, really to set up most of these people, uh, you know, and who they are, why we should care about them other than maybe Quark and Odo, uh, you know, <laughs> outside of them. That beginning the second season was rough. Galdicott's a huge introduction here. And they all come on top of each other. We get like the Galdicott here, we get Jem the Jemhadar, and we get like the Eddington. And so we have like we're balancing the Dominion, the Maquis, and the Cardassians kind of like all at once coming into the next season. So I think that's... last week we had the Klingons, and then we had Garrick was involved in a story a few weeks ago. And like so like they're starting to kind of figure out, well, we can have a lot of fun here, you know? Yeah. With this stuff. That's it. Okay, well, I'm. Is that it? Are we good for? Yeah, I think that's yeah, it. I think, so. I think we're all done. Well, for all of us here at Live Long and Podcast. Remember, Live Long and Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, make sure to plug the shows, Jeff. Okay, the shows. Yeah, Always okay. Tomorrow we got the Tread Ted Trek. You want to watch my? My dad has a new setup now, so he's a little bit more um, able to be involved. Uh, he's, got we ha- he's got a backup. He's got a better webcam christmas uh we also have on thursday dave you're not doing the discovery anymore are you done we're done season three we just finished the 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 the, the finale episode however we are going to do one more podcast to finish off the season three uh playlist we're going to do a deep dive jody uh really wanted to kind of like just break down the whole season so uh we're gonna get into that i, I think adam's gonna be in for that if anybody else wants to watch the whole season or binge it uh feel free to put your hand or your hat in the ring but so we okay, haven't scheduled want, yet, but... want is a strong word Dave. is this is this season actually and be honest dave is this season actually worth watching for me I have to say yes. I, 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 you might still hate it. I don't know, but no, you, you know, but you think yeah. it's worth it. Worth I've, I've turned a corner that? here, uh, with this show, and I was one of its most outspoken. Oh yeah, you hated it. I know. Yeah. yeah. So okay. I've, I've, I, but, and I still hate that second season. I think, and I, and looking back, the first season 
is a, is a mixed bag for me. Um, but yeah, so I don't know, like watch a couple episodes. If you're really not feeling after two, three episodes, you're not, I don't think you will. So, um, okay. I'll give it a try. Uh, is our host gone? Yeah. He, he picked up the phone and walked oh. away. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, and also, uh, we're going to be doing this Saturday night, Star Trek radio theater. We're going to be doing our season two premiere. And like we said, enterprise, it exists even in a mirror darkly. Uh, Kevin, Ashley, how excited are you for this when we are going to do this on Saturday night, nine o'clock here on Facebook and YouTube. Kevin, you're playing the mirror Malcolm Reed, the Mako. And Ashley, you're playing the Mako. You also a Mako. Sergeant Travis Mayweather. Yes, I understand all of that. Yeah, I, I know exactly who that is. You know, you guys know what Makos are? No. No. They're, like, they're like Marines. Space Marines. Okay. Okay. You, have you watched it yet? No. No. <laughs> Like, and I'm writing the narration. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting Saturday, Dave. <laughs> I know I got a lot of sounds to do for this too, so it's gonna be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. I think you're gonna enjoy it. Like for Enterprise, well, I am actually as excited to watch it after your description of it that it's it's totally separate. Separate doesn't even have. It's the only episode of Enterprise that doesn't have. It's been a long road. Yeah, it's the only one. We'll see. So. That, that alone has to make it good, right? Yeah. Okay, well, oh, and the other thing we learned here on, uh, on Discovery was that the Vulcan Slew has maybe changed a little, right? It's like, what? You know? Spoilers. Oh, whatever. Um, and D-Space 99, so we can, what? Or is that a discovery thing? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to... We'll have to see what the community says. DSpace99 here, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's been a hell of a show. Uh, I'm not even the host. It's Jeff. But we'll be back next week with or The Wire. <laughs> Just the empty chair of our fearless leader. Sitting there. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Live Jeff, long Jeff. and podcast. Oh, thank you.